it sounds like you might be the entire leader of, of this country or industry to go ahead and do this and, and really help bring bridge that gap. I, I Let's think, hope so. Yeah. Hello, this is Michael Kelleher, and the mobile patio is open. I am here with Courtney Thompson, who has a long history of, of being in the industry, but in a really cool moment, she is going out on her own in the advisory role, and we'll, we'll speak about that in a second, with a new company that you'll be hearing a lot about, and I already have on LinkedIn, called Consigliera. Hi, Courtney. How are you doing today? Good morning. Happy Friday. Yes. Happy Friday. So you are out on your own, but for a long time, uh, this you've spent your Memorial Day weekends working for a large company, Flagstar Bank. Yep. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about your role and what you did at Flagstar uh, most recently? Sure thing. Um, so after a lovely career in the space um, as a litigator, and after rocking a large compliance project um, in a consulting review um, after Dodd-Frank, uh, Flagstar actually hired me to help them reframe and relook at you know, how we do default mortgage servicing. Um, so for the last seven years, um, I have had the honor and pleasure of working with literally the best team in mortgage servicing, uh, running the default side of their shop. Um, and of course, most recently, um, we just all took our, you know, ocean ready surfboards and rode um, the COVID-19 uh, mortgage wave. And so once the team was settled in and good to go, um, I, you know, found a time to make my exit. Yeah. So we were just on um, virtual Capitol Hill. I was talking with uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, and Senator Markey and the others, and, and one of the pieces that we ended with was to tell what a great job at least the forbearance has been on the CARES Act. One local bank had about 10% of their portfolio. So 14,000 loans they serviced. Uh, about 1,400 people went into that forbearance and only 140 people were left. And I thought that was so cool, like 1%. And I think the other bank was the same thing, much smaller numbers, but it was almost like a 10% down to 1%. So it definitely was... A, a time of uncertainty, like, will this work? You yes. know, can it fly? But it sounds like it sounds like it's working. How much legal? Because I know you have that law background from Michigan State. How much legal advice like needs to go into making sure that because there was no guidance and you had to do it quick. Like, what what is it like working in a quick environment for a big institution? Well, I mean, so I had the benefit of literally being with my team for about six years before COVID hit. And so we had a very good thing going. So when um, stuff hit the fan, uh, we were able to adjust quickly. Um, we ran a pretty innovative shop for servicing and for default. So we had a lot of web-based and other tools, you know, to get ahead of the consumer. Um, but I think one of the biggest lessons learned from last March and April is how much the consumer um, and not just the typical default consumer, how much the consumer, generally speaking, doesn't understand about their mortgage, how it operates and what might be available to them. Um, it was a wild period of time. It was a rough period of time. Um, and we are seeing a bounce back of forbearances, generally speaking, in the industry, meaning these consumers that opted into this CARES Act protection 
um, you know, are getting back on their feet. Um, but there is a meaningful number of consumers, um, particularly Ginny Mae consumers, you know, that remain on the programs. I think private institutions are seeing, you know, a lot better bounce back um, from the forbearance population. And, you know, the default world is really ramping up, you know, from um, a total legal perspective, right, legal regulatory perspective for what is next. Um, we have some pending rules with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau that the comment period just ended for that we're anticipating in July or August. There's going to be a lot of work that needs to happen in a very short period of time to be ready there. And then, you know, the big question is, when will the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau lift the foreclosure moratoriums? Um, you know, in their proposed rule, they basically said, let it be known that it might be December 31st. Uh, and if that's the case, servicers, foreclosure firms, you know, the industry is really going to have to prepare for foreclosure in a way that it's never done before. And that will happen this year, too. Yeah. And yeah, we had a wake up call yesterday with uh, Director Calabria mentioning out of nowhere that uh, GSE reform and, and uh, exiting conservatorship like is going to happen on his watch. And that's something we've actually been. And I was just saying it. Um, not to keep plugging the MMBA, but I was just saying no. it to the Congress, you know, the representatives. But we didn't know that this letter was out there, that this was going to happen. We had all, all of these things to say. And then in the board meeting yesterday, it's like, boom, this thing pops up and it's going to happen. And we're like, we didn't want it to happen that fast. So I can see, um, you know, no, there's a difference between knowing it's happening and then out of nowhere. It's almost like COVID. They, they just out of nowhere were like, okay, as of May 29th in Massachusetts, which has been one of the strictest states, we're going to allow everything now, uh, masks off and on. And so we're even looking at the conferences being like, oh, we can do this differently. Yeah. I'm guessing it's kind of the same thing. Like you can prepare for it, but when they, if, if they don't give a long enough forecasted guidance, you're going to need more technology probably to communicate with these borrowers, right? Well, for sure. Also, you know, I think it was a good thing and, you know, thumbs up to the Bureau on this one, truly, um, by issuing a proposed rule. It's kind of like a really solid last call, meaning they've, they've told us where, you know, they think that they need to be. So if servicers aren't preparing for the final rule to look something like the proposed rule right now, um, you're cutting off your nose to, to spite your face. I think that's the word. Yep. Um, you know, so so we can position ourselves from readiness. The details will come from the final rule. But, you know, by by having it come out in April and, you know, giving us a couple months heads up, you know, the servicing industry should be positioning themselves, you know, to comply with, you know, the three major components of that rule, which is how we communicate with borrowers, how we underwrite loss mitigation instruments, and what we're going to do for, to ensure consumers don't go to foreclosure unless they are the right candidate for foreclosure. That's those three are very uh, distinct and, and seem <laughs> to be very consumer first, right? Uh, always. Yes. Um, where do you where do you go to get your knowledge? Are you finding these days on rule changes and in different areas? Sure. Um, I mean, the 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 CFPB actually does a wonderful job of keeping the industry informed about where they are and what they are. Um, you know, there's standard RSS feeds with, you know, each of the institutions, whether it be Ginny Mae, Fannie Mae, FHFA, you know, CFPB. And I think that, you know, it's a lot to keep up with. 
generally speaking, I always have said that, you know, and in addition to that, with foreclosure land, you have 50 states that are governing foreclosure. Um, so you got to have to keep your, your finger on the pulse of that. But, you know, all regs also is probably the best resource for consolidated new things um, in the rural space as well. Can the average consumer look at all regs or is it industry specific you have to subscribe to? Um, I think it's better if you subscribe to it, but um, all regs and all of these rules are mm -hmm. available to the consumer. Um, by way of example, if you have a Fannie Mae loan, um, you can subscribe to Fannie Mae updates and get those on the regular. Interesting. Do you? So you went to college in Western Michigan, then you okay. went to Michigan State Law. Mm -hmm. In law, do they teach like anything about mortgages? Are you are you aware of mortgages more because HomePoint is there and Flagstar and uh, United Wholesale Mortgage and, and Rocket Mortgage? Like, do do people come out of college different there and say, "I want to work in the mortgage industry," or, <laughs> or is it similar as uh, you know, here where everybody wants to be uh, a, a, have their own startup or? Oh, geez. Oh, like a regional Marketing. flair for, I mean, I would say in Michigan, it's probably like the auto industry or engineering um, is probably more so. No, I mean, for me, I've always been obsessed with, well, I wanted to be Perry Mason and I lived out my dream of being Perry Mason. Um, and it, it wasn't for me ultimately. Um, and as a part of that, it was always in real estate. And I've always been kind of obsessed with residential real estate. Um, and you know, how humans meet it when I had the opportunity to, um, you know, manage, uh, a consultancy through the independent foreclosure review post Dodd-Frank, when all of our work shifted from truth and lending act issues, right. Um, to foreclosure avoidance and, you know, other regulatory related issues, you know, that's kind of when I really, had a John the Baptist moment in mortgage <laughs> um, and was thrown in and pulled out, you know, in the name of, you know, what I've become over the last decade. Um, but, you know, you know, I live in the Metro Detroit area there. I was born of, I would say the best real property law firm in the Metro Detroit area. It was born that way back in the 1920s. It's Madden Hauser, Wartel, Roth and Heller. They think they're growing by just Madden Hauser now. Um, and it's there where I learned everything that there is to know about real estate, real estate transactions and how they work, really setting the framework for, you know, where I am today. Okay. So you're getting back into the consultant space and you're not just, you're not just taking your passion for what you did at Flagstar, but you have, as far as operations goes and execution goes, you have a lot of experience from that consultant. See? Yeah. That firm. I have a really good Botox program, but I'm pushing up on 20 years of, um, you know, being in the, the real estate space in different roles. And so I think that the most valuable thing that I was able to bring to Flagstar and then Flagstar, I've always said running default servicing operations at Flagstar is the best gift I never asked for. Um, I was a lawyer. I was in an advisory role. And literally on April Fool's Day, Lee Smith from Flagstar called me into his office and said, he has a British accent. It's just as cool as a Boston accent, but I'm not going to do it because I'm terrible at accents. He said, we're thinking about moving you over to the business line. And I was like, why would you ever do that? Um, but, you know, you know, it was putting on a different version, a different hat. 
Um, and, you know, one of the reasons why I'm the most excited about um, Consigliera outside of, you know, all of the fintech stuff that we're doing um, is the fact that I think that, you know, I'm one of the only people in the industry that have had the opportunity to be a litigator in the space, to be outside compliance counsel in the space, to be outside regulatory counsel in the space, inside compliance, you know, advisory, and then actually run the business in the same area, um, you know, I call it luck with a little bit of hard work. Um, and so it is that diverse experience in both operations and advisory um, that Consigliera is, is formed in um, to really help the industry during this difficult time. Yeah. And then I, sometimes I can't help but look at the signs behind you as you speak. It's like, start with yes. When you get offered a great opportunity, you know, sometimes you just say yes and ask questions later. Figure it out later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, so let's get into, I think, what's passionate for myself and maybe the, the viewers of Mobile Patio, and I guess we'll speed up to where I'd like to go, but I have so many questions, it's hard to get there, but it's okay. So <laughs> like starting a, a technology company and, and yeah. what I said to Mark Helm, who was on the show uh, earlier, he's been through multiple cycles. So there's a lot of technology innovators like myself out there making front end solutions. And we'll get into the fulfillment and the delivery and, and the yeah. default in a, in a second. But I know you, I know you consult there too. So it, it's yeah. all relevant and everybody's going to life cycle of a loan or, right. or, or customer for life, right? Sure. All that said, the mortgage industry has its like little idiosyncrasies or it has its, um, safety nets where decision makers fall back on. And, and I think you might see it less in institutions that are playing the long game. Sure. So there, you you know, you might run into a longer adoption time or a longer time where they, they roll out with you or the independence that when it goes through a cycle and they have to look at margin compression, some technologies, even though they're working, go. And, it, and I think some of the new technology and I might be wrong, but there could be a small chance that great tech ends up meeting margin compression and says, and I hear it like on, you know, when you hear just innovators in the room in Clubhouse, like, sure. why wouldn't they think this way? There's some parts of the mortgage industry, they just don't because they're trained by so much regulation. Right. Um, they've kind of been wired now to take three steps backwards, one step forward, 100%. four steps forward, three back. But okay, so with all that said, um, I think that's going to play a lot into your advisory moving forward, where it's like, don't just keep innovating in the sense of making screens, make sure you're innovating around solving pain. Um, yes. what, what are some pain points you see, uh, on the origination side is what I'm getting at. Yeah. That if they understood more of the servicing side, maybe, uh, they would be able to deliver a more holistic approach. Sure. So a couple of places. So, um, I had the honor and pleasure of leading Flagstar's FinTech Accelerator program, which was really by, you know, deep dive into, you know, how do we match technology with problems? And I love the way that you put that. There has to be a problem. It can't be tech for tech's sake. There has to be a problem. Otherwise, no one's going to bite because the truth of the matter asserted is that in the financial services industry, there's very little incentive to innovate, period, right? Um, and so, you know, some of the problems, or I, I think a lot of the problems are where things get gross and dirty, honestly, and that's in default for sure. Um, but on the origination side, I think it's in fulfillment. 
there's a lot of people coming out with targeted solutions, this, that, and the other. Um, but I don't think anybody's really solved the fulfillment paradigm. I think that, you know, adoption in the digital mortgage space is a problem, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we're not taking enough baby steps in that process, right, um, to really solve some of the problems. By way of example, um, you know, banks and lending institutions hate doing large-scale implementations, Large-scale implementations take a lot of time, take a lot of energy away from your operators, and you have to get them right. Otherwise, they can be catastrophic. Why can't we start, by way of example, with digital signatures on paper documents now that there's 32, 33 states that I think North Carolina just threw their hat in the ring that are saying yes to Ron? Why can't we start with digital signatures on paper documents to make closings more efficient and then solve other problems within this paradigm? And I think that, you know, the best solutions right now address problems, like you're saying, um, but also, right, are easy to implement. Um, They're not these catechismic, like, mainframe systems that you have to replace everything within it. It's a a slick API that gives you, you know, this much return um, for choosing that piece on the menu. And, you know, fulfillment in loss mitigation Um, is not that different um, than fulfillment in the origination space. And, you know, our partnership um, with Stabby at Flagstar to implement RON for loss mitigation was a big win, right? Um, That can bring a benefit to the consumer. The implementation was weeks, right? Not months, not a year. And, you know, the origination space could do that too, particularly the, the shop that's not as innovative, that just wants to, you know, get a win um, in terms of efficiency. Yeah, I, I feel like there's so many different pieces on origination already built that if they were applied to the servicing side, like in a micro data oh, so- test, right? Like you, you could explore and then come up with your finalized solution. And I think that's why consultancies like yourself, and, and it sounds like you might be the entire leader of, of this country or industry to go ahead and do this and, and really help bring bridge that gap. I, Let's I think, hope so. Yeah. I think we're a lot about bridging gaps. Uh, obviously, I mentioned the gap between origination technology and servicing technology, technology sure. and, and um, margin. Where on that digital signature, right? Right. On, on the paper. I know it solves pain points for the consumer. Right. What what pain points for a lender like are are you looking at to solve with with that? And is that something that Stavi does and or is that something Stavi plus other innovators will have to complete? Well, it is something that Stavi does, but it, it's the whole nature of and you know, forgive the dramatics, but this is true, right? And so Stavi came to us at Flagstar as an origination solution. So it's there. I mean, it's built. It's it is what they do. And so what what we did when we invited them into the program, or what I did when I invited them into the program, I was like, can we take this solution and look at it this way? Um, and then we get all this juicy tech that's built for origination land and we can bring it over to the servicing side of the house. The, the, the answer to the question is you, you don't need people to stand at scanners and hit a button all day long to make sure that you have your, you know, your documents, you know, stored in, in the same way. And whether it's loss mitigation or um, foreclosure, the foreclosure use case for digital signatures um, on paper PDF documents, right, is huge, right? We, the servicing industry spends um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on FedEx, on printers, on ink, 
on paper, on the human that stands in front of the thing and goes like this every day and then has to move the shit from their, um, you know, desktop to here to there, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, And it's just massively inefficient because the current technology providers in the servicing industry have zero incentive to innovate because they're the only ones there. And thus, and so the technology tends to be, I use the word stone aged. Um, And so it, it is actually the physical movement of paper that is the efficiency because you're no longer physically moving pieces of paper. Mike, what are you doing here at the historic Salem Witch Museum in Salem, Massachusetts? Paul, I'm checking out the local sites. Pretty cool, isn't it? Did you know the Salem Witch Trials lasted from February of 1692 through May of 1693 and over 25 people died as a result? Wow, I didn't know that. Seems kind of harsh. It was. Guess that was the 1600s. Nowadays, did you know the average person is on their phone for four hours and 35 minutes a day? Sounds about right. I'm on my phone all the time, Mike. Me too. Ask my chiropractor. (laughs) What are you doing? I have a prequal request for my realtor. And you're doing it on your phone? It's already done. That's amazing. Super responsive. And easy. Who knew? I use easy mortgage apps. Makes sense. It does. Yeah, there was a study or a challenge to kids across America. Like, how could you save the government money? And the winner ended up being in some famous story. He changed the font size and it saved the government like billions of dollars because they were print, you know, they could print on less. And there was just some simple out of the box thought. But we're saying the same thing. So obviously it'd be it'd be easier for the customer to not scan and go down to staples but even if they can't change uh it's like complaining about a pepsi on a southwest flight it's not like <laughs> not like you really do anything about it right like next time i'm gonna fly next time i'm gonna fly a different airline they're like okay but um they can't change like services on the fly because of that bad service but you, you can prove all the margin on paper all right. the margin on everything you just said in, in delivery right but also i always say that like the world's not in a vacuum and maybe it's just me pushing mobile and nobody listening for years, but <laughs> mobile is the king of it's, it's not in a vacuum. You right. could be paying your mortgage if you're using a Mr. Cooper, right? right? From pushing your daughter on the swing set. Whereas if you use one of the other providers, you have to go back and sit in front of a computer. That could be the difference between a 30 day late and, and going on a bad track. I think it's the same thing. I'm sure there's, it's just hard to get the data to prove it, but right. I'm sure there are people that wanted to get out of forbearance and maybe didn't because of the logistics of getting down to Staples and getting that signature and then it passed and now they're in this lost world again with, which by the way, if you call a servicer, they're so busy right now, it's like calling a bank during the PPP days, you can't get a hold of anybody to, to assist you. So there's no tech because they didn't need to do it. There's no solution for my documents. And now I can't get a hold of anybody. And I'm back on that island that the CFPB doesn't want me on. Right. And and that's you're going to solve for all that, but you're going to need a lot of help from different technology and, and oh, yeah. lenders, right? Um, yeah, two things. One, at Flagstar Bank, since last April, you could call us and get us in less than a minute on the phone. 
And so I'll say that because I don't think Flagstar was an outlier there. I think that there are some companies that are having a hard time talking to consumers. But after that wave, you know, we were available. Um, and, you know, I'm just giving a shout out to my servicing folks who are working their faces off that that th- there are institutions that still haven't managed to get it right. Um, yeah, yeah. But the ones that are consumer first organizations, which Flagstar is, we got it right because we had to. Um, and we scaled fast because we had to, and we put tech out there because we had to, um, and that's the way that we viewed it. And I think that that's that, that's just depends on the soul of the organization that you're talking about. Secondarily, though, you know, from a notarization perspective and the consumer's perspective, I would invite you to think about um, not places where you even have access to staples. Um, you know, Podunk Town in um, you know. State ABCD, right? I don't want to. I don't want to rip on any states here. No. Um, I, I don't want to call out Iowa or Oklahoma or anything crazy like that. Yeah. If you have a small town where the only notary in your town that's available to you is at the local bank, and you know the 250 people in town may not know until you go to the local bank that you weren't able to pay your mortgage for the last year, and you've got to go to the bank and make an appointment and have these documents that say you didn't pay your mortgage for the last year. You have to take a day off of work right? To go in to make sure that you can do that. Um, And there's a lot of people that need help that technology can help with these RON solutions. Um, And there's, you know, a few of them. Um, There's only one right now retrofit for servicing. That consumer can close from the privacy of, you know, you name it, whether it's their office, their home, their whatever the case may be, without having to make that additional effort to get back on their feet. Yeah, that's that's so true. I remember a I visited a client in Tulsa, Oklahoma, landed in uh, Dallas, drove up. And that that's a long, that's a long drive of drive. Uh, we didn't see many staples. In yeah. fact, funny story was in Dallas, it's very hot. So I would never check the heater. It gets cold there. I found out I had a a, a rental car with less than a hundred miles on it and the heater didn't work. So I had to drive four hours and stop at like every gas station to warm up. That's terrible. Um, but the things we have to do to visit the lenders to make sure everything's going well. Uh, road life. Yes, r- road life. So where <laughs> where do you, and it's coming back. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's so much to unpack here because I think it's so, I mean, it seems to be like that's where it's going to go. Servicing is now going to go through the wave that, that retail went. And I think what I didn't see when I started my mobile app company in, 2013 was how evolved and how popular point of sales would become. Oh my God. And now there's, there's a lot of them, right? right. And I could mention them all for a free 50 retweets, but I won't. Uh, so <laughs> do you think there'll be something like, is it just going to be ma- making payments on a, like, okay, I'm mobile and I'm biased. So like why every company doesn't have the Mr. Cooper making your payment? I, that's not point of sale. Like to me, that's, that's obvious. So I don't think that's going to be the answer. What's the non-obvious answer that everybody you think there's going to be like 20 vendors that do the same thing in, in five years. And I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I well, I, no. I mean, I think, I think that we have to think about bridging all of this beautiful stuff that was built for origination to the servicing space. Um, consumer assistance in the servicing space is not only a priority of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, right? And their innovation office, it's the right thing to do. We haven't had the need in servicing, which is a very low margin business, right? To fix that. Um, and, but if you think about the 
um, return. So, so, so I go back to what are the costs of servicing and how can I um, directly show the financial benefit to innovation? Because if you can't do that in servicing, you will not win because there's no other incentive to do it because humans don't get to choose their servicer. And because humans don't get to choose their servicer, it does, you know, there's not a lot of incentive to innovate in the space, but I go back to paper. Any of these places where there's paper in the process where we're communicating with consumers, if there is a mobile mobile digital solution, right, Mm -hmm. um, to that problem that the consumer, and you can also, by the way, Michael, meet the consumer where they are. How often do you read your mail? How often do you sit down and open every piece of mail that you get, you get each day? I, I do it very fragmented. So maybe every every four days I'll try and catch up on them. You, you, you put it all in the green bucket and you look at it, you know, um, you know, at the end of the day. I mean, I think that that's where we can show servicers that there's a huge financial yield to innovating as well. So I, I think that it is. Um, I don't necessarily think a lot of new tech needs to be born. I think that the tech that's here needs to diversify, you know, the way that they look at things and partner with you know, people that understand the industry that want to help the industry move forward to help the consumer. And, you know, think of new ways to take that tech, um, just like Stabby did, and go, whoop, right? Yeah. Um, and create new use cases. I will say, origination folks, you'd picked a better idea, right, to be an origination. There's a lot more money in origination. Um, but, you know, servicing, it's much more challenging because you're talking about being able to do the same thing for hundreds of thousands of people at one time, right, instead of a beginning, middle, and end transaction. Um, but there's so much room in servicing for new tech. And I think us innovators need help from consultants like yourself, really for the economics and the business plan. Like every time I try and go to build an app for servicing, right? which we we have with um, the service provider FICS, right? And I think I have something that every company that uses FICS should be offering to their clients. Um, but the economics, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do about pricing. And, right. and I think that's where you call Courtney and don't waste any time overanalyzing it. Just so you sound good to potential investors. You sound intelligent to servicers. Don't come with an origination mindset of pricing. Right. And it sounds like Courtney can help you like, okay, you want to make somebody's life easier. Well, you got to give to get, meaning you, you're going to have to fix this paper problem too. And I'll help you find one in here. I think that's a really good model. Is that, am I just? Oh, no. I mean, a hundred percent, you know, that's one of the, one of the the places that we're looking really to continue to partner with the fintech industry you know, Brian Brooks had this like really beautiful interview on LinkedIn. If you're a nerd like me, I think things like this are beautiful. Um, yeah, you you want to just just give a quick ten seconds on his background? He's 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 just a real. Uh, yeah, I mean he. I mean he's he's. I mean his credentials speak for themselves. But he was the comptroller, um, you know, for the OCC, and he went out and he was on his own for for a uh, a short bit. But now he's going to ride the wave of the Bitcoin revolution. Yeah cryptocurrency revolution. And so um, I'll find the link. I'll send it to you, Michael. Um, But he had this interview about, you know, where are the problems in tech? And he said that tech really needs people that have been in operations, people that have been in the trenches to partner with the bright, innovative minds that are building consumer-friendly and beautiful technology. And honestly, I read that and I was like, 
this, I'm starting this company. This is what I'm going to do because I have almost 20 years of experience in the trenches, you know, thanks to Flagstar, thanks to Maddenhauser, thanks to all of these people that were willing to take a chance on me along the way. And now it is, how can I help these companies bridge the gap to financial institutions? How can we think about this thing that you've already invested millions and millions of dollars into building and, and come up with seven more use cases you know, in the servicing industry where the tech is stone agent. Yeah. I'd call it like the fields of dreams. So <laughs> I, I think everything runs off fields uh, that I've come across, or at least that is what connects it a, a lot of times. And so if operations could just take the time and help you draw that spider web or, or connect those fields right. back to your, your, then you would be able to solve a lot more problems. And for those listeners, a field could be the date of which somebody falls 31 days behind. That now can trigger whatever that you're offering. And then if Courtney's able to help bridge the gap of helping you find those fields, you're not flying blind, uh, which is, is so important. So a, as we come up here at the end, um, I guess I, I'll, I have two or three questions and then we'll, okay. we'll wrap it up. I love the work hard and be nice to people. And I think in your servicing, like that's where you should be the most nice to people, right? Like that you, you just need them to pay. And if they don't pay, um, you know, find out why and, and how they like their home or what, what have you. You think, I don't know much about how much time is spent on the phone at these uh, servicing institutions with their borrowers and, and the, the percentage of people that pay on time, if they, they even get ever talked to versus the people that fall behind. Do you think tech allows you to be more nice to the customers or do you think tech frees up time and that people shouldn't cut their workforce? Those people should start making calls and be, and be nice to their customers. Sure. So one of my personal missions on the planet that has bridged to professional land is meet people where they are. Don't meet people where you are because you'll fail. Right. Um, and so meet much people like where they are, meet people where they are. Don't meet them where you are or you will fail or you will fail. And a piece of that in servicing is thinking about whether or not, Michael, if you get a random phone call from a number, you don't understand who it is. Do you answer it? No, no. Um, Michael, I mean, th or think about, I'll put it on myself. Um, you know, humans who are unable to make their mortgage payment, um, are in a tough spot. Most people will let their Sirius XM bill go, their water bill go, their, their cable bill. You know, there's a lot of bills that go before the bill that is tied to your home asset, right? Mm -hmm. Um, they are in a shame spiral and there's probably seven other collectors that are calling their phone right now. They're not answering their phone. So all eight eight numbers too. So it's right. like, so how do we meet them where they are? Yeah. Um, and the answer has to be here. This is where people are these days, right? Absolutely. Um, and because of that, it is how can we break the shame cycle of servicing by creating an environment where somebody can be educated and understand what is happening with their loan, what their options are, and let them opt into you know, that cycle. I, I partnered with Brace AI as one of our final projects at Flagstar for their total loss mitigation um, application experience, which included a full forbearance workflow. If you opted into a CARES Act forbearance and didn't want to talk to somebody to get out of it because you just couldn't, you can do it all online now with Flagstar because of the technology that they built.
And, you know, it, it is, it is, it is important work. Um, people who work in default mortgage servicing are not kicking people out of their homes. It's actually the last thing they want to do. And so but they do want to speak to you, right? It's like anybody that owes you money. You want to be connected. Yeah. And I don't know what the word connected. I don't think that the word connected means talking to a human on the phone anymore. I think the majority of us don't talk on the phone anymore. I do. I write handwritten. I always say 93% of millennial communication is nonverbal. Yeah. And of that 7% slice, uh, only 1% is incoming phone calls. Meaning, and here's another fact, a millennial is as scared to check their voicemail now as answer, uh, or a voicemail is as scary to them as the doorbell ringing, which is banana land, as we say in Boston, because- Oh, I love that. um, they it. transcribe your voicemails for you. In 2013, when I started this company, I know for a fact, yeah, there's no transcribing of voicemails. You actually had to listen to them. And then, you know, some of us are, you know, old enough that you couldn't skip them. So you had to listen to all of your voicemails, awkward or not, to get to the most recent one. But uh, so I think if they're afraid of voicemails now, they have no idea, you know, what it was like in, in our day. Well, I mean, heck, I mean, ever since I had been able to, message 143 to somebody's beeper about what my feeling set was. Um, You know, that was kind of the beginning of where we are now. And forget servicing. If consumer facing companies, um, collections companies of any sort, right, regulatory, anything are not thinking about meeting the consumer where they are. I mean, I think we're losing. Um, and so creating um, behaviors and forums where the consumer is used to going, we have to do that before they go delinquent. Once they go delinquent, you know, we have a problem, right? So let's teach the consumer in servicing to rely upon us and know that we're good meth- or good mechanisms for communicating when things are good. Uh, it's like a good prenuptial agreement, right? You, you negotiate the divorce first. Um, and I think that, you know- The lawyer in you there. Yeah, well, trust in the industry, right, will will increase dramatically if the consumers are met where they are. If somebody wants to really get their arms around that, and I would say that's the biggest takeaway is how do you meet consumers where they are in, in, in mobile? And I could talk to you for days if you want about that. Before you go ahead and and, uh, and call Courtney and make sure that you, you line something up or, or some sort of uh, consultation, I guess the final question would be now that you're getting started, somebody watches this. um, Should any, there's certain people that should be um, contacting you and how do they contact you? Sure. Anybody that wants to change the world I'm available for. Um, And, you know, it, it is, you know, with these tech companies, it's anywhere from, you know, positioning yourself correctly. I spent a couple hours yesterday with a, with a firm that really wanted to pitch well, to banks and servicers. And we spent hours pacing around the room talking about, you know, what is, who are you and and how do we get there? Um, To real use case development, real product use case development in, I have this cool widget, it does this. Is there a use case for servicing? I'm happy to tell you no. I'm good at saying, (laughs) I'm happy to tell you no, if there isn't one. Um, But nine times out of 10, it is, you know, this is the potential path to here. Um, Consigliera is the name. It's like the boy trusted advisor from the mafia, but we, we, we use an A because we celebrate women. Um, so www.consigliera.com or Courtney at consigliera.com. Uh, you can get a hold of me there or on LinkedIn. 
Um, and I'm happy to set up time and see uh, what type of magic we can make. Yeah, definitely. Definitely do that and, and definitely reach out to Courtney and definitely never give up. I'm somebody that has applied to five mass challenges. We finally got in. We were a top 20 finalist, but I'd say for years, people said, stop. What are you doing? Trying. I've applied to flag stars twice, but I will keep applying Applied to the ICBA's accelerator. I ah. think accelerators are the fastest way to get where you want to go Amen. Um, outside of getting a co-founder that knows how to raise series a real quick, <laughs> no questions asked, but yeah. otherwise, and sometimes you need a little bit of um, confidence and you need a lot of focus. And so I think Courtney can really help you in, in both areas there. So thank Absolutely. you, Courtney. Appreciate yeah. you coming on. We would love to have you back in the future. And thank you again. Thank you. This has been great.